0: Good morning and welcome to Decaf. You know, when we first just got on the Zoom a second ago, Mark, you held your hand up and I saw your ring and I think I'm still not used to you with your bling, you being a married guy. It's like- yeah, It's only like
1: $120 bling, but it's still, like it's it still counts. <laughs>
0: bling nonetheless. It just, it still like gets me every time I see it. I'm just not used to you being a, a married man. Gentleman. It's kind of nice. <laughs> you look like more cleaner cut, like your hair's always done now. You look good. Care's, well, that, no,
1: that's not, not true. I have a meeting with John today. That's the only reason it's nice. It's not like I normally want to dress. It's only I just have been in the office a lot more this week. So I've been trying to look okay.
0: <laughs> I have too. And honestly, going in the office is doing me right because the sweet guy at the coffee shop in our office at Barista Parlor has been giving me his employee discount. And oh, man.
1: those people are great. The Barista Parlor uh, employees are incredible. Yeah.
0: I know I bought a lot of coffee from him the other day for a meeting in our office, and I think we're like bonded now like like we're we're bonded.
1: <laughs> it's weird that, uh, that yeah, it's like it, it, it's so hipster in there, too. They have like the records, but like, you know, like, I feel like they have the records all kind of like the kind of music you like. But then like I saw they had a John Mayer record play yesterday. I'm like, it doesn't seem like that's really <laughs> that's really no, I went the-
0: in. I went in the other day and he was playing Beatles Rubber Soul on vinyl and I have Beatles Rubber Soul on vinyl right over there by our record player. And I was like, okay, he and I this he's the boy version of me and I love it. I'm here. I'm for just it. doing yeah,
1: vanilla ice on vinyl and make him play that.
0: Oh my gosh, Mark, that hurts me. Um, So in addition to good things happening this week, like my coffee order being, getting a great discount, um, Beacon released a couple of new studies, one of which is a conservative budget, kind of like an outline of a conservative budget for Tennessee. So everyone knows that Tennessee is in a pretty good place fiscally. We always have been, um, there's not, I came from Alabama where there was just a lot of abuse of state funds and the budget was always in a really terrible place. Now here in Tennessee, it's kind of refreshing because we already have a really stable situation and vegan wants it to stay that way so mark let's talk about the report a little bit why we released it this week and what were some of the things like what's the motivation behind doing this when we're already in a good place
1: yeah i mean i well i think and and ron you know did a great job with this as he does with all of our reports, and our Um, friend vance
0: from texas
1: That's right. Yeah. yeah. That helped me kind of took some things from what Texas has done in state as part of this report. Um, So I think that one of the big things is like when you're really good, think about Alabama football, right? Like when you're really good at something, um, you want to make sure you don't, you know, rest on your laurels because things change. And you want to make sure that that other places don't pass you. Right. You want to say, oh, you know, we've done this well. So we're okay doing this or doing this because we've been so, you know, frugal and and the Tennessee government has been good. We are in great position. I think we actually had the lowest tax burden in the country. Um, for a state. So this was just kind of like, yeah, we're doing well, but let's make sure we keep doing well. Um, and part of what he did was to make sure that as, you know, I, I think there, there's this urge because we have such a good rainy day fund to spend more money. But the point is of, of what kind of Ron talked about is that by ensuring that we don't spend more than our population plus inflation, which I think people forget about sometime um that by doing this that we're, we're ensuring a great future for everyone it's it's something that like our our legislators are you know have done a good job over the past 20 30 years but you never know who's gonna get in there you never know what's gonna happen so just kind of a good roadmap to say you know what we're doing well but there's a reason we're doing well and it is this kind of you know conservative budget. So let's make sure that we're doing this in years to come so that if we have another pandemic, if, you know, if we're putting all this money out because we think it's gonna be great and all these people are gonna come and then it doesn't happen that we're not left holding the bag. So, I mean, I, I'm really, I was really impressed with it. And it's something that I think most people, you know, families have to to manage their budget based on their expenses and what's going on. So I think the idea that the government has to do the same thing is, is is a good talking point.
0: Yeah, Mark, you made a good point and I want to like highlight that. It's not that we're asking for something insane, like this Mm -hmm. massive spending or anything. All the report lays out as far as a conservative budget estimate for Tennessee is accounting for the rate of population growth which is so sensible because so many people are moving to Tennessee, plus the rate of inflation is how our budget should grow. We're not asking for massive cuts. I don't know if you've ever done um, the New York Times has this little grid that they do of the federal budget and you can figure out what you would include and what you would cut in order to get us a balanced budget. And you would have to cut a lot of things. It's actually really hard to do. Um, I had to do it in an economics class one time, but
1: which is why it's, politicians don't do it. <laughs> they actually
0: exactly. Exactly. It. But it's not like we're asking them to do something like that, like something impossible. It's very conservative, but it's also very reasonable to do the rate of population growth plus the rate of inflation is how our budget should grow. So honestly, Ron and Vance from Texas, our friends at Texas Public Policy Foundation really helped us out with this. They've been doing this for a while and um, we thought it was an An incredible model to model our budget recommendations after. So shout out to Vance and to Ron. Ron has been really excited about this because it's like, it's like the fuel that fuels us nerds.
1: And and it's just one more like important thing to think about. It's like when you see places like California who are losing population growth because of their terrible policies, um, they have these programs that they're not cutting. It's like they're cutting money when they're losing people. So it's like they are in position to just fail. And it's gonna get worse and worse. This, the idea that this is based on what you know a normal taxpayer can pay like as population changes, I think is a, is a big deal.
0: Yeah, it was, it was an exciting release. So check that out on our website, on Twitter, on Facebook. It's out there. It's everywhere. Um, we're excited for you guys to see it. We have a few more reports that'll be sprinkling out soon that we'll cover in the next couple of weeks. But um, let's get back to, let's get back to reality really quick. Um, Tuesday night was one of the most litty nights of my entire life. Oh my we'll talk God, about-
1: <laughs> please don't say that. What is wrong with you? No, you should <laughs> If I was listening right now, I would tune now. just FYI.
0: <laughs> but then you insulted me, so it's great. Tuesday night right. was such a fun night for our staff because we are Braves fans and we're also election nerds. And so um, we had a great time in all of our group techs. So we'll talk about both things back to back here. But Mark, you as the election specialist, what happened Tuesday night?
1: Um, it was a really, it was a terrible night for Democrats. It was a worse night for socialists. Um, it it was really, it was a really interesting night, um, in Virginia, there was, you know, what was considered to be a huge upset three weeks ago where, you know, Donald Trump had just lost to Joe Biden by 10 points in Virginia, and uh, the Republican actually beat Terry McAuliffe, Glenn Young can beat Terry McAuliffe in a in a very surprising, you know, election. And, and because we don't have any, uh, I mean, the elections of the midterm election every two years, so in a in an off-year election, you can't usually, you can't always tell what the feeling of the country is. I mean, there's polling, but you don't really know until people actually go out um, and vote. And and what happened was New Jersey and Virginia both showed, I think, Democrats that they are in big trouble next year if things don't change. Now, of course, everyone takes away different things from what these elections means in New Jersey. Again, I, I think it was a much bigger deal than Virginia because this is a place that, you know, by just one by 16 points, that looks like to be on a one or two point victory for a incumbent Democrat against an unknown challenger that that basically just got in for no reason. Um so that's a real. And of course, in, in Buffalo, you saw the socialists lose to a writing candidate, uh, which made me a lot of money. Uh, you saw, you know, the, the people in Minneapolis, all the progressive ideals. Um, they voted down a, a thing to defund the police by about 18 points. And Minneapolis, is a very, very progressive city.
0: That was wild. That was honestly the most exciting thing because it was just like they they got something on the ballot and then everybody said, "Okay, get it on the ballot all you want. It doesn't change anything. That doesn't mean we're going to support it. All the people who are afraid to speak up. That's what I love about elections and ballot initiatives. All of the people who are afraid to speak up because they're afraid of the loud, angry mob can go to the ballot box and make their voice heard. And I just I just love that. I love that we have that in America.
1: I think the biggest takeaway is it feels like Democrats have really talked past their base in order to please this far left. They they, they are worried about kind of what the socialists, the ANC, those kind of people think. And they, yeah, we need to, I mean, not all of them, but like we need to defund the police. And you see, that's not actually what their voters want. They are kind of case, you know, leftist mob and they they think that what happens on Twitter is what happens in reality. And that's not the case. Yeah. So the problem for them is, and this is just, I mean, a, I think a lot of things the Republicans are going to take over, certainly the House in, in, in a year, but mm-hmm. potentially the Senate too. But they need to like learn why this is happening. And this idea like, oh, we didn't get the infrastructure bill passed, or it's because the Republicans are lying about critical race theory. Or it's because all the races came out. It's like you're missing the point of of why people voted. And really, if I'm being honest, I think it's like people, even liberals are like the the shutting down schools is a big problem. That was was one of the
0: big that was one of the big issues in Virginia. I kept seeing like people chose their children over policies. And I think that that was huge.
1: And, and people talk about CRT. I think that that's a kind of a left wing type talking point. That That's not, I think that was a pretty small aspect. And I think that people who were going to vote on that were voting either right or left anyway. I think the school shutdowns is what moved people, right? And this idea that, you know, parents shouldn't have a say in their education, but that happened in New Jersey too. Phil Murphy shut down schools forever. He shut down business. And like, again, he was supposed to win. He should have won by 20 points for him to win by one and a half. And the New Jersey like state Senate uh, majority leaders out, lost to a, a truck driver who spent $156 and $70 was on Dunkin' Donuts of his campaign. Um, you, you've seen all around this. is, And the, the question is, will they learn from that? Because as much as the Democrat, and again, this is not all of them, but they are talking past their actual base and these undecided voters. And they're really trying to like make sure that the the far left is pleased. And, like, you can do that and they might be okay, but you're going to lose elections if you do that. You yes. need to come to the middle because that's where a lot of America is. And by doing, I, I mean, I think these crazy spending bills, I think people are concerned about inflation. And while inflation is not, you know, Joe Biden's fault specifically, I mean, his policies have made that worse for the most right. part. People people don't like this, you know, the backup. And, and there's a lot going on right now. And I think the Democrats can't just say every Republican is Trump and expect to win. Because we saw that, especially when they're nothing like Trump and they keep comparing people to Trump and they're going to lose. And this is so reminiscent, in my mind, of what the Democrats did in 2010 when they compared everyone to George W. Bush, yes. and, it's like, you know, and, and they kept, they, they won't take, you know, they won't take blame for their problems. They just want to blame their predecessor. And I mean, for what it's worth, he was a little bit more popular, but Trump did the same thing with Obama. So here's the thing is people don't want to blame somebody who's not in the White House anymore. When you blame somebody not in the White House for the current problems, it just, it looks desperate. And I think the Democrats really need to think of a strategy because last, I mean, Tuesday note was, it went about as badly as it could have gone for them.
0: I know. I, I totally agree. But it was, it was it was really a spectacular crash and burn for um, the Democrats. And if they don't learn, then time is ticking because it's just going to be the 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 radical extremes of their policies are only going to drive more people into the middle or to the right and i personally think i used to think that the republican party's days were over now i'm kind of starting to think the democrats days are over and there's going to be a moderate like kind of no, like a
1: neither are over and this is just a cyclical process we always say that we, we every time somebody says the republican party's done it never is they said the democratic party done it never is i mean we, we heard that with trump once so like it, it, like, it's amazing what two years or even one year can do. And I think that anybody who's making these assessments of what they can see three years down the road doesn't understand what's going to happen in those three years.
0: But you don't think there's going to be an uprising in the middle? That's what. That's all I'm saying is I think there's going to be, I don't know if it's over necessarily, but I think it's popularity is going to shift, it's going to be over, and the popularity is going to shift to kind of like a more moderate Uprising in the middle. That's all I'm saying.
1: I don't. I, I think that the opposite's going to happen. I think that the left's going to dig in. Because I mean, even they're saying we're not progressive enough. That's the reason we lost. Um, I think the demor- I mean, I think that what Glenn Youngkin did in Virginia was he really appealed to moderates. He was saying, you know what, like I. I and I think that good Republican candidates will do that. They'll say, look, you know, I'm not I, like. There's some things I like about Trump. There's some things I don't. This is what I want to do. These are the things. And the the school issue really appealed to moderates, right? And yeah. that was something that that was really important, I think, but. It's it's interesting what will come next year and what the people will learn. But the two most empowered people in the world right now now are Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema. I think that they feel like, you know what, this whole time, everyone in the media has been like, you have to go to the left. You have to do this. You have to pass this. Otherwise, you're Democrats. Now they're going to say you have to come to me. This is where America is. It's not over where you're at. So like you come to me and we'll talk. It's not going to be the other way around.
0: Well, you think the two most empowered people in the world are Mansion Cinema. I think the two most empowered people in the world are Brian Snicker and Freddie Freeman. Um, I think about- said you,
1: Justin. Also, maybe that.
0: <laughs> maybe, maybe also me and Justin. Um, I. It was such a fun game Tuesday night. I love. I don't like close games. Okay, everybody just keeps saying. I wish the game was more fun to watch. Nothing to me is more fun than nobody's not a having fan anxiety. says that. <laughs> I know nothing is more fun to me than not having anxiety. I love when it's the seventh inning and we're up seven to nothing, and I can just straight up chill and eat leftover Halloween candy and watch the last two innings and know that the game has been won and there's nothing they can do.
1: Let me say this: I texted Justin in the seventh inning and saying something like, "Congratulations!" And he's like, "It's not over yet. You never know with our bullpen." So like, even he did not feel comfortable with the seven nothing lead, which I mean is smart because that that. That's the way they break your heart.
0: I mean, I, I gave our bullpen crap all season because I get so nervous. I just get so nervous when we're on defense. I know that our guys can smack the ball out of the stadium. But when we're pitching, I get so, so, so nervous. But our defense was on absolute fire Tuesday night because they knew that it came. It was up to them to win the World Series. Everybody's all I say everybody Deadspin. spin who like if you know me, I'm you coming. know, I hate Deadspin. With a burning passion of my soul, I hate Deadspin and they're already talking about Freddie Freeman this and he's not as good as they say he is and contract renewal, blah, 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 whatever. I think that Freddie is in the best place ever for contract renewal this year. Like imagine your contract being up for renewal and then you win the freaking World Series. So Freddie should feel pretty good about his chances of a fat sum. I just it was one of the more exciting series because I don't there was this article um, that uh Jock Peterson wrote about Atlanta and he said, Yeah, we might not be the most likely people to win the World Series. We only won 88 games. We've had everything that could possibly happen, happen to us. But I think we're those guys and they were. And it was just, it was, it was very. I'm glad glad that you
1: sensed. I'm glad that you censored that for what he actually said.
0: <laughs> Listen, I don't. I'm not trying to lose my job here. I posted the uncensored version on my Instagram, so if you want to see what it really said, check my Instagram. But um, yeah, I'm not. Yeah, trying you, to lose you got my the
1: you, you got the base yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. And I mean, I think from an outside, I think I Yeah, and I mean, obviously, I didn't have a team in the hunt. I mean, I wanted the Giants to win because I, I had bet on them. I actually did win money on the Braves, thankfully. But uh, the it, it's a cool story when you think about the Braves. You know, they lost their MVP candidate. They were struggling. They kind of underachieved. They were at 50 to 1 to win the World Series at some point this year. They made a bunch of, like I said, a bunch of kind of under-the-radar deadline moves, which I knew were a big deal. A lot of people did not quite understand how big Adam Duvall and Jorge Soler, the World Series MVP, were. Um, and, and they were really big deals. And but But you have to give them credit for being just so – I mean, it's crazy how – they were able to do this and and without, I mean, let's think about the idea that their best pitcher got hurt in game one, only pitched three innings. And they basically had to trot out, like, you know, guys who weren't even on the roster for game four, the original world series roster. So it really shows um, a team who, like deserved to win. They did everything they possibly could. And it's like, and it's a story that it's it's hard not to cheer for, even if you're not a Braves fan like Justin and you are, it's like hard not to cheer for a team like that. And of course against the Astros who everyone wanted to see lose. It was kind of the perfect like Cinderella versus like a hated team. And it was just, I mean, it it, it was really impressive what they did. And I think that Braves fans should probably have your expectations not so high for next year. This was an incredible story that is not likely to be repeated, but I mean, kudos to you winning a world series, a huge deal. And I mean, as a team, as a guy who's never seen his team win anything, I I, I'm glad, I'm happy for you and Justin.
0: I'll say one last thing and then we can uh, transition to our last topic. But um, in Jock Peterson's article, he talked about the magic of the team and that I think he said he was he, he had just joined the team and he went and got on like the pitchers bus or something. And they were like, what are you doing here? And he was like, I mean, we're a team. And, and this is just who we are. You're not pitchers. We're not outfield or whatever. We're a team. And I think that was one of the little magic elements of the team was that no one really had an ego. Everyone was excited for everybody else. And at least when they were playing or when they were together as a team, nobody had the ego. They were just, we're the Braves. And if we're going to win this thing with only 88 games, won in the regular season, we got to act like a team. And that was just so fun to
1: watch. And again, how many teams can win a World Series when they lose their best player by a mile? I mean, say what you want about Friedman Acuna is easily their best player. I mean, it's not even close, so it's like, that is that just shows such grit determination with these guys who get – basically these guys that nobody else really wanted. You know, Soler and Duvall were fine; they were kind of in the middle of lineups for bad teams. But it's like these are guys that you know they're older; they're not really going to get big contracts. And they all it was a team effort in every game. You know, it was going to happen. I mean, Travis Darno, right? Like hitting two home runs. Like like this, this catcher is having like two hundred in the year like saved you in some of these games. Like it's just everyone who set Jock Peterson, who is a bench player the whole year, like stepped up and hit home runs in the first. Everyone stepped up when they needed to. And that's why you all won. And congrats. It's, it's really awesome. It's a great story. And I'm, I'm happy for you all.
0: It was so much fun. Okay, now here's something that I don't think we're going to agree on. And I haven't okay. told Mark. I don't the know what this
1: topic else. is. We didn't talk about this beforehand. So. I
0: want to know in your mind, when does Christmas start? Because that has been a big topic debated on social media this week. Does Christmas start November 1st? And Thanksgiving is just like a, like a pregame for Christmas, which is my take. I don't think Thanksgiving is a real holiday. I think it's a pregame for Christmas. And it's when you like start the fights with your family that carry on through the, of the holidays. <laughs> I
1: and mean, then you finish them on Christmas. But...
0: Yes. Like, I think that that's when like the kindling gets put into the family fire. Um, what do you think, Mark?
1: Yeah, I, I think the day after Halloween is when it's Christmas season. I basically agree on the Thanksgiving thing. Now, I don't – here's my issue with Thanksgiving, though. I don't think it's not a real holiday. And I, I, I like it for the aspect of watching football all day and, you know, drinking beer and hanging out with your family or whatever. I, I don't – the food does not appeal to me. I agree that it's not a real holiday. And that Like, I don't care about turkey. I don't care about cranberry. I don't care about whatever stuffing. Like, it doesn't matter. Christmas is – like, I want a steak. Um, But, yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I love Christmas. I think that the day after Halloween is – you know, you have a month and a half and, like, you can start seeing Christmas commercials. I think that everyone should be comfortable doing that. I mean, we're already talking about potentially decorating some stuff, uh, but no, I'm definitely on the same page. I'm actually okay. You know, I, I don't have a rule. I love Christmas so much. I think once it's like September 1st, like it's okay. I know it's like, it might not be, but I think November 1st for sure, but it's like, do whatever you want. Enjoy your life. Christmas lights are great. Don't keep them up in like May. That's the only thing yeah, I have. Like, because yeah. you take away some of the magic, like you need to, it needs to be beforehand, not keeping up eight months after because you're lazy.
0: Also, it's like said to be bad luck to have your Christmas stuff up still on New Year's. And so I'm very like, take it all do. down. Like, oh, it's like a thing.
1: I don't think anybody, like like 90% of people are not like, do not take it down before New Year's Day.
0: Google it. I'm pretty sure it's a thing that you're supposed to take. It might be a thing, but down. no,
1: everyone has it up there. Like I, I have no idea. I've never heard that before. Is that a real thing?
0: I think so. I take my stuff down, but I'm also like, let's get this popping on November 1st. Like Starbucks has introduced their Christmas drinks. Yeah. I have already listened to um, Merry Christmas Darling a bunch of times. Like, it is it is absolutely go time for the Christmas tree. So for what it's
1: worth, it's Christmas tree, not Christmas decorations. Just Christmas okay. tree for New Year's. Um, Yes, well, that, that, I mean, that, that is a weird, I'm glad I know that. I did not know that was a rule.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, if you want to stay married and have good luck, take down your Christmas tree. That's, my, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Take down your Christmas tree and eat your black-eyed peas. But I actually didn't think you would agree with me on this. I thought oh. you would be more curmudgeony
1: about it. No, I no, I love Christmas. I had other holidays, I mean, Christmas is the greatest holiday. But the the only thing that I hate is, to me, the worst day in the year of the year is almost the day after Christmas. Like it just 26. is so depressing. Yeah. It's like I don't care about New Year's Eve. I don't care about New Year's. It's like. That like you get so excited as a kid, like you're excited for like three or four months, and, and like after that, it's like like I don't even want to listen to Christmas music. It's over. Like it, it just makes me sad that it's so far away. Yeah. And again, again, and whatever. I, I've always, I mean, I guess, yeah. And that's again Christmas, or and I, I think again, I'm not Jewish, but I think that Hanukkah is kind of a similar type thing. I mean, and they get the one cool thing. I always kind of wish that as a kid that I, I could celebrate Hanukkah because it's, it's hard to open all your presents in like two hours. It's great. Cause it's like such a rush, but it's like the one a day for like 12 days, like, especially their cool presents. Like you have something to look forward every day. We're like, you do that Christmas thing. When you're a kid, you rip open everything in, in an hour and you're like, Oh, well, this is all great. But like that it was all this excitement. Now it's all done so quickly.
0: I know my sister's best friend is Jewish and they always, and she talks about Hanukkah. And I'm like, will you invite your friendly Gentile friends to celebrate Hanukkah with you? Cause honestly, <laughs> that sounds like way more fun.
1: It's real. I know. And they have great food. Yeah. But like, it's, it, it's always, uh, it's always interesting. But yeah, I mean, the Christmas day is great. And of course, it's always, it's always exciting to see other people open your presents unless they don't like them. But I am absolutely, I think Christmas music, Christmas commercials, and the things it feels, the weather outside has been really helpful because it yeah. feels like christmas right it's, it kind of feels like christmas yeah. season it's like in the 40s it's cold you wear your full jacket i'm i'm excited i am definitely on your page on that surprisingly but we are we are 100% i think we agreed on everything today this might be the well- first time
0: I actually disagree about Thanksgiving food. I love Thanksgiving food. I love having a plate that's like literally only brown except for green beans. Like I love like mashed potatoes and dressing and like macaroni and cheese, like all the casseroles. And then there's just like green beans. And that's like a little bitty bit of it. So I actually really do like Thanksgiving food. That's the only thing we disagree on. Okay, so we'll disagree.
1: And we'll say that Alabama should absolutely not be number two in the rankings. That is an absolute atrocity. And we'll disagree on two things.
0: I'm not saying I disagree on that, but I'm also not complaining. (laughs) So uh, roll tide, go Braves, and uh, we'll see you next week. (laughs)